Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Our great God, we confess that you alone are holy. You are absolutely and infinitely perfect in all you are, in your majesty, your beauty, your nature. You shine as the brilliant sun in your glory. You dwell in an unapproachable light which no one can see or has ever seen. And to you be honor and eternal dominion. Lord, we know that your word is settled in heaven. Your word is living and active. It pierces to, our, to the innermost parts of our soul and our spirit. And your words discern our thoughts. And your word knows the intention of our hearts. No creature is hidden from your sight, O Lord, but we are naked and exposed to your eyes, and it is to you whom we must and we will give an account of our lives. Father, we just pray for our ministries here at Covenant Community Church. Uh, we want to pray this morning for our music ministry here. We just ask that uh, the word of Christ always be at the center of our songs and uh, upon the, the lips of our praise. And we just pray that our hearts might always be filled with gladness and thankfulness to you as we sing. And uh, we just ask that you give Ashley and Stefan and uh, his girls wisdom as they lead this ministry of praise to you on our behalf. So just thank you for that ministry and pray that you would bless it. I want to pray today for uh, Christ Community Church in Gridley. We ask that you bless Pastor Andy Hitty. We ask that you give him wisdom as he leads your people there. Lord, we ask that you help them as a, as a people of God to keep their Bibles open, to keep their hearts turned upward toward you, to keep their feet firmly planted on your path, and to speak your word clearly to the people in their community. We also want to pray for... Um, Zach, one of our sent missionaries who's teaching English to students in Southeast Asia. Pray that you would open the door wide for him to build relationships with the people there and to share the good news of Christ with them. We pray that you would open the ears and hearts of the people there to hear the voice of Christ speaking to them. I also want to pray for Landon and Hannah, just as uh, just thank you that they're here with us this morning and for the time we had with them in our Sunday school today and just pray as we already have that just for the ministry you've given to them. And now, Father, as we turn to Psalm 1, we ask that you, Lord, just open our eyes to behold wondrous truths as you speak to us here today. We ask that you enlarge our hearts so that we can meditate upon you and delight in you. And Lord, we pray that, that you would not hide from our hearts an understanding of who you are and what you're doing in our life. And we ask that you remove anything in our hearts that we're clinging to that keeps us from seeing and hearing you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 1. We're going to get a vision test today and a hearing test uh, for the eyes of our heart and for the ears of our heart. If you would, turn to Psalm 1. A few years ago, uh, I was hiking in the mountains in Montana with a friend, 
And uh, my buddy got tired on the way up, so I decided, well, I'm going to go ahead and hike on up to the top. And um, I got there, and I, it was this incredible, majestic view uh, of, of, of the whole world below. 360 degrees I could see all around me. Uh, and I, uh, I, I just stood there for, for five or ten minutes and wondering when my friend was going to come. So finally I called him on the cell phone and uh, I got a hold of him. And I said, where are you? He says, he's at the top of the mountain. I'm thinking, the top of the mountain? It was only about as big as this room, and I'm looking around, and I don't see him. There's a few people there, but he wasn't there. And uh, I said, where are you? And he says, I'm at the top of the mountain. He says, I can see the whole world below me. And uh, so he argued with me for five minutes that he was on the top of the mountain, and I wasn't there. And um, finally, I told him to turn around. Because I, finally, I went over the, to, the, to the ledge, and I looked down, and there I could see him about 500 feet below on the path that led up. He's standing way down there on, a, on this ridge, looking around, on a, and he's got his cell phone up there, and I said, turn around. So he turns around. I says, do you see me? He says, no, I only see the side of the cliff. Well, you're obviously, you're not at the top of the mountain. <laughs> uh, but I, so I said, he's, and then he starts arguing with me again. He's at the top of the mountain. And uh, finally, I said, hey, I said, look up. And I'll never forget what happened. He looked up, and he sees me up there, way above him, standing there, waving at him and signaling him for to come up. And I'll never forget what happened. He literally fell backwards, and I thought he was going to fall off the ledge. Um, he didn't. Um, so why do I tell this story? This is the way that people often see and hear God. Uh, people think that they're standing on the top of the world, and people think that they can see the whole world around them. And people want to argue with God that they know more than God does. And they think that their path to the top of the mountain is better than God's path. They think they know the mountain better than the God who created the mountain. And they think they know people better than the God who created people in his own image. So uh, we're just going to kind of keep that story in the back of our minds as we read through Psalm 1 here. Uh, the title of today's message is Heaven's View of the World Below. Heaven's View of the World Below. We're going to open heaven's doors and see the benefits that come to those who live their lives by God's rule. And I use the word world in this title not to refer to the physical earth, but to the, but to the world of people, to the world of human beings. And we're going to get a perspective in, in Psalm 1. And actually in the first two Psalms, we get this perspective of heaven's view on earth. And uh, the, the rest of the Psalms mainly describe uh, life as lived by believers from their perspective on earth. But in these two Psalms, we get to see how, how, how our lives look from, from heaven. And we get to see the world through God's eyes and what a view we're going to get. The scope of these first two Psalms in Psalms is universal. It extends to all human beings in all of history, uh, in all nations, at all times. Everyone is included. No one not. No one is excluded here. Psalm 1 will begin, Blessed is the man 
And then if we were to look at Psalm 2, it's, it starts out by saying, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And Saul Psalm 2 will continue and it will say, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Okay, so we're going to get and see a perspective of the human race from, from God's vantage point here on the top of the mountain. Everyone in the world will be included in this, the mighty and the weak, the rich and the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the young, the old, children, men, women, all of us. And what are we going to find out about us, about ourselves, and about the people uh, on the earth? We're going to find in heaven's views and in God's eyes, there's only two kinds of people. There's only two kinds of people. There's the godly, those who love God and place their faith in him, and, the, and the, there are the ungodly, those who, who have no love for God and who do not place his uh, faith in their love in him. So let's stand and read um, from Psalm 1 together. Uh, when, you, when we read the first three verses, I, I want you to listen to the tone of the speaker in these first three voices. Hear the tone of gladness and joy as he describes the first group of people, the godly. Verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Wow, can you hear the joy in heaven for this man? And then, now we'll go on. Now listen to how the tone of the speaker changes to that of sadness and grief. From verse 4, Ah, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You can be seated. When we read our Bibles, there's three questions we should always ask ourselves. The first question who is, who is God? The second question, what? How is God working? How is God working? Then the third question, it's a question we always uh, tend to go to first, how does this apply to me and to my life? But here's the problem. We can't answer that third question of how this applies to me if we don't hear what God says about himself. If we don't hear who he says he is, and if we don't hear how he says he's working, we'll never be able to answer the question of how does this apply to me. The main idea today uh, in your outline is the difference between the godly and the ungodly is found in the, inf in the affections and the incl inclinations of the human heart toward God. By affections, I mean, what does the human heart desire and love the most? Okay, that's going to be the difference. What does the human heart desire and love the most? And by inclinations, I mean, upon whom is the human heart centered? 
and upon whom does the human heart orbit around? So that's what, what I mean by those words. Paul writes this in the, the New Testament. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So in, in, in the Bible, when we, hear, when we see the word wisdom uh, and wise, it's, it's talking about someone's affections of their heart, and it's talking about their in inclinations. Where is their heart directed towards? And uh, we, often, we, 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 we hear that phrase, the fear of the Lord. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about someone's af affections and, uh, and where that heart is orbiting. Uh, and this may surprise some people. They, you know, when you hear the word sin, uh, most people think that, what do they think sin is? They think sin is what people do wrong. They think sin is what someone else does wrong. Not, not myself, of course. And uh, the problem is that's not how God sees it. And that's not how God calls it. Uh, godliness and ungodliness in the Bible describes our relationship with God. Either we have one, that's godly, or we don't have one, that's ungodly. And godliness describes a person who belongs to God, who delights in God, and who God chooses to make his dwelling with. So that's, the, that's what we mean by the word godly. Did you know that you can tell uh, something about a person's heart and their values by their body posture? You know their body posture will reveal what our hearts are thinking? Uh, a friend of mine this week uh, told me he was, he was a salesman. He was making a sales call, and he met with this customer in a room. And uh, at first, he said the customer sat back in his chair, and his head was kind of turned, and he wasn't sure how well he was listening, and his, his arms were folded across his chest. Uh, and he could tell this, this customer wasn't very interested just by watching him. But he said, but as he started to present things that this customer was really interested in, and he, he said, he noticed then that the, the man's body posture began to change. Soon he, was, began, he sat straight. Then he began to lean forward. He put his hands forward on the table. His eyes were looking intently. And my friend told me, he said, I knew I had the customer hooked. And so my question is, what's, our, what's the body posture of our heart towards God? The heart of a godly person leans forward attentively. His eyes are fixed. Um, his arms are extended out. That's the heart of a person who's hearing God, the godly. What's the heart of the ungodly person look like in his posture? He's sitting back. His head is turned. His arms are folded. And he just can't wait until God leaves the room and God stops talking. May God forbid that would ever describe any of, us, any of us that we would want God to stop talking and to leave the room that we're in. So let's, let's go on. Who's blessed by God? That's our first point in the outline. Psalm 1 begins, Blessed is the man. We have to ask ourselves, who is the blesser here? Who's the blesser? From whom does the blessing come? And here's the good news. The 
great blesser is God himself. Did you know that God loves to bless and God loves to do good to his people? This is who God is, and this is what God does. God is a rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. I hope you're encouraged by that, to know that, that our God wants to bless us. In verse 2 we read of this man who's blessed, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So who is this person? Who is this person? Well, we see what he's doing, but who is he? Well, let's start by asking who he's not. Who this person is not. So first, back to that mountain analogy. This is not the person standing at the edge of the cliff on a mountain, admiring the views of the kingdom of this world and their glories. And as the person leans precariously over the edge to get a closer and better look, they lose their footing and fall to their death. So this is not that person. Uh, second, this is not the person who's standing on that same ledge on the cliff and he's taking a selfie of himself. He has himself in the lens of his camera as the center of attention. This person is admiring his own accomplishments and rising so high above everyone else in life. Then stepping backward to get a better picture of himself what happens? He too falls off the cliff. So neither of these kinds of people will be blessed. Those who have their vision upon the kingdoms of this world, nor those whose only, uh, only spectrum in their vision is themselves. So if it's not these, who, who is it then? Well, the godly person is the man or the woman standing on the... Uh, the ridge of that mountain, he's looking up to the heavens above. He's looking up. He sees the king of glory sitting on his throne. He sees, he sees God smiling at him. He hears God speaking to him and God waving to him saying, come on up here and get a better, get a, get a better view of me. This is the person who admires and praises God. This is the man who's going to get blessed, or the woman, I should say, too. Um, this is the person who listens to God when he speaks. Does this describe me? Does it describe you today? Let's take a little closer look at the two types of people that are, are not blessed in this psalm. The person whom heaven calls the ungodly man or woman. Listen to the rest of verse 1. Started, blessed is the man. It goes on. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So here we see a person who has no need for God, whose heart has no affection for God. Rather, this person's heart is self-absorbed and worldly absorbed. This person's not going to get blessed by God. Why does God look down from heaven with disapproval upon this person? Well, they're attempting, if you think about it, they're attempting to expel and erase God from their hearts. There's no room in the end of their hearts for a Savior. Um, they don't see themselves as sinners standing on the ledge of a cliff needing a lifeline from the Savior above to keep them from falling off. 
These are people who, do, who don't look up. They're so busy looking down at the roots and the rocks on the path or the glories below them. They don't look up to see the great worth and the great beauty above them in the king. The psalmist uses three words here to describe the hearts of these people from his view in heaven, from God's view. The wicked. This describes in the Bible as people who have no relationship with God. They don't know God. Sinners. This describes people who wander away from God and live life apart from God. And scoffers. This describes a person who's, who resents God and he resents God's authority. What exactly is wrong with the speech of these people? ungodly people. What's wrong with their counsel? Why are we not to listen to it? God disapproves of speech, uh, the speech of these people because of what they say and what they don't say. Did you know that what you don't say is often more revealing than what you do say? It's what these people say about God and what they don't say about God. Jesus said that what comes out of the mouth comes out of the heart. And the unbeliever standing on the mountain does not believe from his or her heart that God rules the world he's looking at and the world he sees. The unbeliever can't see the heaven above and they refuse to hear the voice from heaven that calls to them. Kind of like my friend. Listen to how the Bible warns us not to stand too close to the edge of a cliff on the mountain not to stand too close to the edge beside a person holding a camera with himself in the view, in the lens. Here are the warnings that uh, come from Proverbs. Proverbs says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harms. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. Paul writes in the New Testament, don't be deceived, Bad company will ruin your life. So, what exactly are these people saying that we want to beware of? Well, we need to be like the psalmist describes the godly man in verse 2. We need to meditate upon the word of God and see, and see what God says and hear him when he speaks. Let me give you just a, a little sample of, the, of, the, of this ungodly counsel we will hear from people in life. You remember in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve succumbed to the lie that God didn't sit, sit in the seat of authority? They were told that God was not to believe. They were told that they did not need to honor and worship God. They were told they could live their lives happily apart from God. Okay, this is, this is one example. In the Psalms we read, the wicked boasts of the desires of his heart. And in his heart, he renounces the Lord. In his heart, he renounces the Lord. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, when he says there is no God, listen to what, he, what that means. He, the fool says, God has forgotten. God has hidden his face. God will never see me. It's not that he doesn't believe in God. He just... He just he just thinks God is not there. 
Solomon said it this way in Proverbs. We're talking about what kind of consul are we going to hear from the, from the world of the ungodly. Solomon wrote in Proverbs, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's the kind of consul we're going to hear. Jesus said it this way. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain came and the floods, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and great was the fall of it. Why do we so easily believe this kind of consul? Why are we not immune to this? This is why the, 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 the psalm was written. We are so easily susceptible to, to listening to this and hearing it. What, what's the problem? Let me give you three reasons. First, when we hear the speech of the ungodly, it's emotional. And by that I mean it wears a mask of either a smile or a frown. And we are a people of emotions. And we are a people that uh, are, are moved by our own emotions and by the emotions of other people. And when they speak, they speak with emotion. When they speak, their speech is persuasive. Um, the Bible tells us we're like children. We're easily tossed by the waves of other people's opinions and we're, we're blown away by the winds of cultural values. That's who we are. We are so easily persuasive, persuaded. The third thing, their speech is deceptive. The human heart loves to be fooled. Did you know that? We love to be fooled. We ought to be afraid. Let me give you an example of this that happened to me in college. Uh, uh, in my junior year at college, I was uh, required to take a psychology class, and I had to participate in this graduate research program. And their, their purpose of their research was to, to try to match... Uh, students who lived in dormitories so they would be compatible with each other. So they did this, uh, they did this personality profile on all the incoming students, and uh, I was uh, asked to help evaluate these um, uh, different uh, students coming in, and they brought me into this room, and there was these smiling grad students there to greet me, uh, and they welcomed me in, made me feel comfortable, and, uh, and, and and thank me for volunteering. And I remember thinking, I don't remember volunteering for this. Uh, but their emotions, the way they emotionally uh, re reached out to me made me feel comfortable. I relaxed, let my guard down. I wanted to please them. And I wanted to get a good grade, too. And uh, the next, they hooked me up to this little machine, or little to my wrist, and they told me that this machine would measure my reactions to these personality profile of other people. And, um, and they tested it to make sure it was working. Sure enough, it did. And, um, and so they were, they were going to show me an, uh, the profile of another student uh, who, was, who was coming to this school. And, uh, and they went through a series of questions, and I could read the response of this stranger to these questions in this personality profile. And I could see how the meter was re uh, registering. Uh, one, if I was glad and happy, and 10, if I was hostile towards this person. Well, they, the subject turned to theology, and they began to ask questions about God. And I'll never forget this. I'm looking over at the meter, and it's on 10. My emotions are hostile to this person. I don't like them. 
And uh, they get all done. They asked me if I, if, if I thought this person could be a compatible roommate to me. I said, no way. And some of you know where this is going. They told me that I was the stranger whose personality profile we were looking at. And uh, I had forgotten I had taken that same test two years ago when I came to college. Um, but most importantly, uh, they, well, they told me that the, the machine was a hoax. They were manipulating the meter. And they proved, here's what they proved. They proved that in only 20 minutes, they could change what I thought about God and what I thought about myself. Now stop and think about that. This is happening to us all the time, all around us, and we don't even realize that our thinking is being captured and shaped by the world around us, the ungodly culture that we live in. Look at, look at um, verse 1. The psalmist used three word pictures to, to, to show what happens when the human soul stops listening to God and starts listening to its own heart. He uses the word walk. This is a picture of friendship. Uh, Solomon writes, when sinners entice you and they say, come and follow us. Let us throw in our lot together. We shall have one purse together. Solomon warns his son. He says, don't walk in the way with them. Keep your feet far from their path. That's in Proverbs 1. James calls this first step away from God, friendship with the world. That's what it means, walk, stand. What does that mean? This is a picture of a crowd that's standing together, shoulder to shoulder, holding hands, holding a sign, embracing a common cause. Now you've thrown in your lot with these people, the ungodly. You have one purse with them. And you know what happens? Herd mentality sets in. And it's, and it's hard to break free from cow fences. They're electrified. The last word here is sit. In the scripture, this word carries the idea of the seat of authority. This is a picture of a person who now makes the world's values and the world's truth system its own. And this person's truth system is now unbelief. And this person is now sitting in a seat that's fully opposed to God. This is why we need to go to the Word of God. This is why we need to hear His voice when He speaks to us. We are an easily deceived people. We love to listen to lies. So, let's go to the second outline here, second point in the outline. What is the blessing God gives? The greatest blessing that God gives to His people is the person gets well-being and rest for his soul in his relationship with God. The Lord promises his presence in that person's life. And the Lord walks with that person every day. The, Lord will ch the blessing is the Lord will change our hearts. The Lord will give us new affections and new desires for him. You know, David writes in the Psalms, he says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you 
the desires of your heart. You get God. That's what we get. Look how in verse 3 the psalmist describes this blessing from God's view in heaven. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Look at the imagery the psalmist is using here to describe what God, who God is and what he's doing to this person. Trees planted by streams of water. What is God doing here? It's an, uh, he's using an agricultural simile. Um, something is like something else. He says, God is the heavenly gardener and we are the plants. God is the one who owns this fertile, well-watered oasis in the desert. We don't own it. God is the one who, who does the planting. A tree doesn't plant itself. God is the one who's doing the watering. That the tree doesn't water itself. This is what God's doing. He's planting us by his streams, which yields its fruit in its season. So what is God doing for us? What are we to do? If you think about a tree in the, in the, in the land of uh, Judea there in Israel, the dry wilderness area, those trees experienced uh, summer heat, drought, all, all the seasons of weather. But God is the one that's producing the good fruit in this person's life because the person is abiding in Christ and drinking from the living waters. So does that describe us? And what happens when we abide in Christ and we uh, drink from his living waters? We will give back to the Father of all good gifts the fruit of joy, praise, and worship. That's the fruit that God wants. Our joy in him and our praise and worship to him. The Bible, or the verse goes on, its leaf does not wither. What's God doing here? God's arm in his hand will sustain the godly person through his entire life, in every season of life, in every trial, in the good times and in the bad times. Isn't that comforting? Its leaf shall not wither, the leaf of faith. In whatever he does, what is God doing for us here? From heaven's view, the whole scope of our life is seen. And in perspective, God is at work in all areas of our lives at all times. Nothing we do is insignificant to God. Think about that. Nothing we do. Thank you for, for the ladies that are serving us the lunch. Thank you for the ladies and the men that clean this church. Everything we do is significant. Everything. Everything that we do is under God's heavenly eye and tender care. And then finally it says he prospers. What's God doing there? The word prospers here signifies the end, the destination. Everything that God purposes for us will be accomplished. Isn't that encouraging? We cannot fail because God cannot fail. I know we all feel like we fail. I know we all feel we failed God. I have. We do, all, we do, we do it all the time. But God's perspective from heaven is different than ours on earth. He doesn't see our lives the way we do. And how do we know that? Because in other places of Scripture, the Bible gives heaven's view of, of, of God 
how he sees us. Remember in Romans, it says we know that God, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. That's heaven's view. Um, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who shall be against us? Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is now at the right hand of God in heaven interceding for us. That's heaven's view of our life. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. We go on and we see in verses 4 and 5 where the ungodly, where their path leads and at what point of the cliff they fall off. And there's going to be another agricultural simile here. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You know, for the very people who are so easily swayed by counsel that ignores God, guess what happens? God ignores them. They don't get blessed. In fact, they're, they're compared to the chaff in, at harvest time that uh, when the wheat's separated, it's, it's simply um, thrown in the air and it blows away and it's gone forever. Verse 6 tells us, and they will perish. And what is the final destination of the godly? Well, let's look at verse 6, the first part of that. Where does the path upward for the godly lead? Every step of that path, the Lord's eyes from heavens are upon him. It says, for the Lord knows. The Lord's looking down. He's seeing the path. He's seeing our steps. He knows where we are. He knows where we're going. The Lord knows the righteous. Christ knows each of his sheep by name, and each of his sheep know him. He calls us by our names, and we hear his voice, and we follow him. He's calling us. And the verse goes on, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the way, the path. We live under God's lordship. We walk with the king in his presence. That's our path. We have a path that the king walks with us. Isn't that encouraging? So let's look at the application as we close here. How are we hearing God when he speaks to us? Here's the hearing test. We've talked about the uh, seeing test already. Here's the hearing test. How's, how's, how's our hearing today? Well, first, who's the ultimate man? Who's the ultimate blessed man in Scripture? Who is the ultimate blessed man that all blessings point to? And the answer, it's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He alone perfectly loved, perfectly obeyed, perfectly walked with God all the way. He stands on the summit in heaven, summit of the mountain. Jesus is the way. He's the only path to our Father in heaven. Jesus is the truth. He's the living word who's, give, who's spoken the written word for us to hear, to build our lives on. And Jesus says to us, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So he's the truth. And Jesus is the life, the living waters that we must plant our roots of faith beside. He is the true vine. His Father is the gardener, and we must abide in him to bear any good fruit to the Father's praise and glory. And the good news today, the good news today is that 
The voice from heaven, the voice from the top of the mountain is calling to us today. The voice is saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Are we hearing God? Are we hearing him? If you, if you would, let's close. Look at Psalm 2. I just want to spend one minute on that. Verses, verse, the last two verses, Psalm 2, verses 11, to, 11 and 12. Our Father in heaven is speaking to us today. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Fall off the cliff. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. He will keep us from falling off the cliff. My question to us today is what kind of kiss am I giving Jesus today? What kind of kiss am I giving? We're all giving Jesus a kiss. Everybody in the world. We're either giving him a kiss of worship, a kiss of friendship that fears and rejoices in his presence, that shows his great honor and his great worth to us in our life, a kiss of friendship, of worship. Or we're giving him a Judas kiss, an uncaring kiss that lacks any emotion or any affection for Christ as Savior, a kiss of betrayal that puts more value on 30 pieces of silver than on the life of the Son of God. So which kiss are we giving him today? And the blessed man in Psalm 1 is the man who kisses the Son, the person who places their faith and trust in Christ as Lord and King. I'll close with this. Jesus is calling from heaven. He's calling to us on earth below. He wants to give us a blessing, and he's saying, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the rest Jesus is speaking of is the promise of the blessing in Psalm 1, the spiritual well-being and rest for our souls in the hands of our Heavenly Father.